Hey guys, welcome to the Tech People Podcast. My name is Ken Coyne. I'm your host and founder, as well as head of technology at Office Talent. I believe at the heart of any success story are the people who made it happen. Diversity, creativity, and innovation, when nurtured in people, can lead to an unbeatable formula. I created this podcast to share the experiences of some truly inspirational leaders on their journey to success. Enjoy the show. Hi guys, welcome back to Tech People. This is Ken speaking. I hope you are enjoying our CX series as much as I am over the last few weeks. I'm really looking forward to our topic today which covers process and technology in relation to delivering a great customer experience. A topic I find very interesting as when applied correctly leads to so many benefits and efficiencies to not only the customer, but also your CX team. I'm delighted to be joined by Rory O'Brien, who's the Director of Customer Experience at Tonkin. Rory will share his experience in approaching process and technology, including some of the challenges he has faced and potential solutions and also how he sees this evolving for the future. We will also get his thoughts on chatbots, which are a very popular topic at the moment. So let's get on the show. Welcome, Rory. Thank you, Ken. Glad to be here. Appreciate it. No, thank you. And we're looking forward to learning a bit more about your approach to process and technology. But before we start that, maybe you can just maybe tell the audience a bit about yourself and your current role, please. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so again, Rory O'Brien, run the uh, client experience team over at Tonkin. Relatively new, uh, new position in a new department, uh, looking to stand up the support team, the implementation team, and everything having to do with our academy and, and learning experience uh, function. In my previous life, I've always been, you know, client facing with a sprinkling of operations, um, and Tonkin kind of brings both of those worlds uh, uh, together with my love of, you know, automation, process optimization, while still being very client facing and deeply involved with keeping our clients uh, happy and getting value out of our platform. Cool. So, yeah, so how did you get into the whole area of like process and technology? Was there something that's just in- of interest to you or was it your natural evolution? Yeah, you know, I've, uh, you know, I built my first website when I was 14. I've always been, you know, relatively, you know, techie. Okay. Graduated with an IS degree. So in theory, I should be an, uh, an engineer right now, but I decided to... <laughs> Decided to go the uh, the more client facing route. Sold hedge fund software for a few years, um, okay. and then really started to get into more sales and marketing ops. Worked for a few startups in in that space, uh, and then most recently actually created my own agency, mostly in the Salesforce world with a previous colleague. Really helping companies uh, set up their sales sales ops and marketing ops tech stack right. again specifically in Salesforce. So. Tonkin came along and kind of bridged that perfect world of wanting to be in product, but in the operations space while still being client facing. So it's really kind of checking off all the boxes. Yeah, cool. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I find it very interesting. I mean, this whole area brings so much benefits, as I mentioned previously. I mean, automation, you know, just removing, you know, self-service, some great value add. But let's talk just a bit about your experience. And I mean, so how do you approach process and technology in your experience in terms of customer experience? Yeah, so it's actually in the order that you just said, process and then technology. But actually, even before all of that is you just need to put yourself in the shoes of the clients. You know, if it's right. support or if it's implementations or if it's going to learn on their own your application in the knowledge center or your academy, 
what is the ideal experience that they're going to go through? What do they have to click? What do they have to see? Who do they have to reach out to? You need to go and stress test that and figure out all the scenarios and even do some some initial research with your clients and and just figure out what's the most ideal process that they're going to experience. Because everything after that is is satellite. It doesn't matter about really the technology. Technology is kind of the vehicle that's going to get you there. But really, it's about what they're going to experience. And then internally, you've got to figure out how to optimize the right process. So it's kind of bridging that gap of what they're going to go through, but also what your employees are going to go through to create that great support process or to create that great you know, academy process or that great onboarding experience if you're buying a new piece of software. So you really just need to think about the strategy of how you're going to implement the technology. Because again, I'm, I'm pretty agnostic to it. Uh, okay. Technology at the end of the day is you can look at any application out there and all it is is it consists of three things. It has a user interface, it has business logic that's a proprietary to it, and then underneath it, it's a database. That is literally all software is. And, you know, you can kind of glue them together and everyone knows kind of, you know, thinks about, you know, I need Salesforce and that's just going to make my sales people better. That is not how it works. You need to think deeply about how you are going to leverage Salesforce very specific for your customers and for your salespeople in order for it to be successful. So it's kind of a, you know, cart before the horse and you really need to think about the process that is uh, that you want, and then start betting the technology of the requirements that you actually need to gather that that technology actually needs to check off for you. Okay, because I've spoken to a few CX managers recently, and there has been a, definitely a topic that we discussed, and often a lot of these people would say, "Where do you start?" I mean, in terms of the whole process, you know, you mentioned there, do, do you should you immediately start talking to your clients and ask them what is the process they want to see? Or should you review it internally? Have you any ideas around that kind of aspect? Yeah, you, you, we take the the approach of kind of that agile operations, or you can think about it almost as an MVP if you're you know bringing a product to market. It's getting that smallest amount of testing out there, validating okay. it and getting that feedback. So there's kind of the approach of agile versus the waterfall when it comes to launching products, but also when you're launching internal processes um, or externally facing processes for your clients. And what is the smallest amount of change or the smallest amount of part of an application that you can get out there to garner feedback and then continue to iterate on it versus writing out and making a ton of assumptions on what you think the ideal process is going to be knowing and thinking that everyone is going to be rational on the other end of the, <laughs> of the line. And, you know, having this huge A to Z process all mapped out without even actually validating if any of it's going to be truthful. Why don't you start with the first 2% of it, connect the system, launch it out there, get a web page out there, like see what the feelings are of the people that are actually using the form or the application or piece of technology or just experiencing the process. And get those feelings validated because you're usually not going to have enough data when you do that. And and there's a kind of critical mass that you need for data to actually even be worthwhile to make decisions on. But really just just start iterating very, very small and then build upon it based on that feedback. It's, you know, it's time true and tested, right? It's been written about with, uh, you know, agile processes and, and, you know, the whole MVP movement. But it's a different way of thinking about it when you're approaching processes versus product. But the principles still apply. Very interesting. But how about then? Is it possible, I mean, you know, that you could be upsetting 
your customers, your clients? Because I mean, it, it sounds like a trial and error approach. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's just a, it's selling the methodology of this is just the new and better way to to approach process problems okay. um, or problems in in general. You think about how many projects just take two years to launch or six That's months crazy. to launch because you have all of this you know prep work and all of these like yeah. I said assumptions and all of these Visio uh, maps and it's all everyone's just trying to you know make their their best guess and then it launches right six months later. Or a year later, how much of yeah. the requirements have changed in that year because your business has grown or your there's been a yeah. reorg or what have you? Like, there's too many variables that are always moving, and you need to be agile and moving as your company is changing and your processes. You know, there's a lag time when you have that kind of approach to it with the more waterfall mentality. So, a lot of what we try to do is just kind of instill that agile ops methodology or that kind of maker mindset, we call it the people that know processes best and have have the ability to, to go out there and test and validate if this is going to work or if it's not going to work. And it's just, it's a slow kind of education to that new method, not even new, just to that kind of methodology yeah. versus the, the lower, more, uh, you know, slow approach to change. Yeah, fantastic, Roy. In your experience, maybe, could you share some of the challenges you faced? Maybe you could talk us maybe some through maybe just some of the solutions and just give us a general feeling, maybe like, like what has worked and what hasn't worked in approaching this process. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, change management is obviously a big issue, uh, both internally, but also for your clients. If you are going to roll out a new support process or a new support portal or a new way that they can get support, that's asking a lot of your clients. And you know, we're obviously a bit smaller than some of the, the larger orgs and we don't have a ton of transactional, you know, volume, but we still do have a lot of clients that will say uh, they're a bit spoiled, right? They can email anyone they want. They're going to get, you know, great service because, um, you know, of, of the, the state of when they came on, uh, on board with Tonkin, whereas some of our most uh, recent clients, you know, they're now adopting the more scalable approach where we actually have our infrastructure set up and there's processes set up and there's front doors that they can go through. So it's really just kind of that change management from a human perspective is always the, the toughest and asking okay. them, you know, not to email me directly or email anyone else directly, but following the process while still getting that quality service is a very, very hard bridge to gap, but it is possible and it's kind of manual at first, but that. That's obviously been a struggle. Also, creating uh, creating an academy and an education center from the ground up is is very different uh, right, than, okay. than you know anything else because every platform is different, every piece of technology is different, and with that comes how your clients are going to effectively learn that. Do you make it more video based? Is it more long form content? Is it cohort based? Is it feature function? and actually getting their hands on the product. These are all really tough questions and there's usually never one answer, but how do you test all those and validate, you know what, we need to invest resources on this path. Again, I'm not even talking about the technology yet because again, the technology, I don't care what LMS we use. I don't even care if we use, you know, upload our videos to YouTube or Vimeo. Like okay. none of that really matters until you actually figure out how your clients are going to best learn and get best get up to speed. And then from there, you can start again. Okay, let's test out a, a video tutorial that's pure video and see how much information they retain, whether that's taking a test or going actually 
validating within the product. Okay, maybe it's more long form and they need to read a lot more. Okay, let's try that before we just go and dump tons and tons of resources into uh, into you know one specific yeah. specific strategy without at least testing out some of the other ones that we think may or may not work. Yeah, I like it. I mean. But in terms of, um, you know, you mentioned so many different directions there, like even that example there about do you do customer videos, do you do text? Is there any kind of rule of thumb or any kind of guidelines that you've learned to use in the past? Or is it literally you just trial and error and just, you know, and, and experience? I've interviewed hundreds of candidates at this point. Okay. Um, and I ask every single one, how do you best learn technology? Every single person usually answers. I go in and I play and I click everything until I can't click anymore. And then that's so I mean, you could usually default to, and this is this is usually a bigger lift though, right? Is is it takes a lot of your product and engineering team to work with your your academy to kind of build that learning through the product. It's a couple, it's like a little bit of walk me plus really, you know, Salesforce has nailed it with our trailblazer where you know you spin up a sandbox environment and you kind of have this whole training academy built out about step-by-step of clicking in the application, actually experiencing and feeling what it's like to update a field and, and delete something and actually like go within the application. So it's usually the heaviest lift, but it's usually the one that actually is, is, has the best retention and kind of the best learning for your clients. But it is again, again, harder. And um, if your product changes, that's got to change a lot as well. So it's a struggle and I don't think there's one right answer, but Learning by doing is usually kind of the rule of thumb that's uh, that's been validated, at least in my experience. Brilliant. Brilliant, Roy. Tell me, um, give us your thoughts on chatbots. I'm often asked about this topic. How do you feel about chatbots? Do they add good value? They don't add value? When should you add them? If you give us your thoughts, please, on this. Yeah, chatbots. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, I'll just say that there's kind of a time and a place. They were very hot. For a while, and I think you know there's still a lot of validity to them. But everyone—I don't want to say everyone—but a lot of companies, you know, are priding themselves on being an AI and ML company. Just like everyone needed a chatbot, everyone needs AI and ML. Even though if you yes. kind of look under the hood, it's not always truthful. There's plenty of models out there. There's you know a lot of chatbots that will be self-learning. You only need to you know put a few models in there, and it'll kind of look at your historical data and start to get smarter and I'm sure that's absolutely and completely valid. But if you are trying to use a chatbot purely because of the volume that's coming through to meet your SLAs, I feel like you're looking in the wrong spot. And that's more a symptom of your product not being strong enough in that maybe it's not self-explanatory enough. Or why do you, why do people keep coming and asking these, these questions that are most likely transactional? I know that's a little bit longer of a potential solution, but right. that is a little bit more reactive than, than proactive. And I, I don't think that chatbots are always the answer there. Now, they totally do serve a purpose. I don't know if I would dump an entire team full-time kind of beefing up these chatbots because I've personally, as a consumer, and this is, this is very important, everyone in kind of the B2B now is B2B world is really bringing their individual consumer expectations to business software. It used to be where, oh, you know, an SLA, I'll get back to you in two days and support, and that was okay. Not anymore. Everyone is a consumer and their expectations are, I don't care if I'm reaching out to 
any SaaS vendor, I want a response and I want it fixed and I want it done immediately. And that's where I think a lot of chatbots are coming in to kind of help with that. But to me, there's so much friction. I was just using a, a chatbot for uh, my pet insurance. And I thought it was a seemingly simple, simple answer. And I went on this wild goose, goose chase, clicking every single pre-fill button to get absolutely nowhere. And it's just, it's so frustrating. And I feel like they're, it's in the same family as the, the phone the phone menus, you know, where they will say, oh, our menu has changed, you know, click seven for this and two for that, like similar, but in, in obviously not the same, a lot more intelligence. And then there's just kind of the maintainability of them. Look, I'm a, I'm a process guy. I've seen some crazy videos. I help enterprise companies with their very convoluted processes. So I've seen some pretty gnarly workflows. But on the other side, I have seen some incredibly rigid and complex logic just for chatbots where if they select this, then it goes to this branch. And if they select off that branch, then it goes to this branch. And I don't understand how the, the maintainability of that is really feasible without a ton of work and oversight. I imagine some of those answers change. I imagine there are a lot of links and, and who is kind of owning all of these is always a question that I don't really get an answer for. So all that said, it sounds like a bash of chatbots. I really do think there's a, <laughs> there is a... Uh, are a lot of pros. And again, I don't think it works that well in the enterprise, but, you know, SMB, you know, mid-market where you are getting a lot of volume, I think there is some some merit to it. And I'm sure the technology is obviously only going to get better and more intelligent to where you're actually connecting all of your systems. And some of these chatbots can look up a lot more data and maybe do some complex matching where, you know, a human wouldn't have to go in and do that copy and pasting. Maybe it's smart enough to, to provide that, those answers in a trustworthy fashion. I'm sure it's there, but I would not default to a chatbot every time. I would look to see if the symptoms are elsewhere in my product or my process. Okay, very interesting. Thanks, Rory. Pros and cons, but it sounds a bit. But uh, I suppose from what you're telling me, also it depends on what area you're in and what exactly you're looking to solve um, that, it, that it can help in. Uh, just getting back to process and technology, I mean, how do you see this evolving for the future of CX? Yeah, I think uh, you know the the word composability is starting to starting to trickle in. I know Gartner's using it a lot, and a lot of other companies are starting to to use it. And I think it's it's really kind of the future, and outside of CX as well, but especially with CX because of the tech stack that a lot of client experience teams are using. There's a lot of SaaS bloat. There's many, many, many applications that companies are using, and a lot of them are only using you know ten percent of the functionality. So I think that you know buying software or there's an app for that is is not necessarily the answer. But I also don't think that cutting all of them is the answer either. I think it's kind of somewhere in the middle. Again, going back to my analogy that every single piece of software is just a UI, business logic, and a database underneath. I think we're going to start to see software and all the different applications more as Lego blocks that are composable yeah. that you can kind of leverage however you want. I want to use the business logic of this application because I bought it for its purpose, but I don't want everyone to be logging into that user interface just to query it and get a single record. That doesn't make any sense for the experience for my employees or my support team. Why can't I take this 10% business logic and get the data that I want in the user interface that everybody does want to live in without any of that kind of back and forth? So Think about it going from like 30 Chrome tabs that everyone has to maybe five Chrome tabs because you've got this kind of orchestration layer in between where you're looking at your software tech stack as a composable Lego 
kind of a, yeah, like a, a bunch of Legos where you don't need to maybe buy a new app because you have enough of the business logic somewhere in your stack to leverage it. You just can't connect to it properly or your people aren't using it optimally. And on the other side, you don't need to always think about custom building or custom developing or custom coding anything because that's very, very rigid. Who's going to maintain that? What if your business changes? Do you have to get back in line for IT? So I think you're going to see a lot more pieces of software that are able to kind of orchestrate and string together your technology, but also automate a lot of your processes while including, and and more importantly, thinking about the experience that your employees and your customers are going to deal with day-to-day when you combine those three concepts. So composability, I think, is going to be the the key strategy and the key word that uh, that you're going to start seeing and and hearing a lot more of. Very interesting, Rory. I'm looking forward to learning a bit more about this and and doing my own research uh, and watching for the future. Listen, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate the insights. If anybody would like to get in touch with you or contact you, what is the best way? Yeah, just uh, Rory at Tonking.com is the best way and uh, happy to chat anytime. Great, Rory. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. Appreciate it, Ken. Thank you for your time.